words of our thinking is going to come and bring to pass the things that we are hoping for, we look for. So we believe, and as we don't see, we believe again in the belief that what we are expecting will come true. But this morning, let me just argue that I think that what Jesus is saying go deeper than what we think or what we can have uh, as, uh, as conception about that. But before if we quickly we go into that, I just want to take a quick observation about the passage that we just read. We understand that this scene actually happens right after Jesus comes out from the mountain, after the transfiguration, which was a glorious moment, a wonderful time that uh, our brother Stephen shared with us last Sunday. Actually, it's interesting to see that Luke tells us that they come the next day, the next morning. So actually, it's kind of a long time that Jesus was gone. And the next day, he comes again back from the mountain with the rest of the disciples, exactly with Peter, James, and John. So meanwhile, while Jesus was on the mountain, we see I here the story that we just told. A man has a son who is very in a hard situation. He wants his sons to be delivered. So he goes and looks for, 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 for Jesus with the hope that Jesus can do something. He arrives. He doesn't see Jesus. Then he turns to his disciples for help. In his desperation, he asks the disciples to help him. The disciples, with good faith, try to help the man, try to cast out the spirit that's actually uh, pursuing his son. Apparently, it seems that they cannot. So around them seems also there are some scribes and Pharisees, so they start arguing about the case of the child. It's at that very moment that Jesus comes and asks the people exactly to the scribes, what are you talking about? What are you discussing with the disciple? What is the point or the reason of this argument? And then if a, a man from the crowd, the father himself, Explain the situation for Jesus Christ. Something that I want to make uh, to observe is that if we want to understand actually how God is majestic and great in that story, we need a little bit to look into the, sto to the story of his child. We found that his situation is quite very, very difficult. It is a situation that he has been suffering with since childbirth. Uh, Mark tells us in verse 26. So since his birth, apparently the child has been, been tormented by the spirit. In some verses or some uh, cases today, we speak to and we say that the child has some epileptic uh, situation. And true that epilepsy can have all this effect. But in the case of this child, it seems, as the word says, that this child situation, whatever it is, epileptic or not, is provoked by a spirit, by a demon. And that demon is quiet, making that boy suffer. Whenever he wants, he takes the boy and shake him. In fact, we read that whenever it sizes him, verse 18, it throws him to the ground. The boy foams at the mouth, gnazes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Verse 20, so I brought him when the spirit saw Jesus, he immediately threw the boy into, the, into a convulsion. 
He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming from the mouth. It has, verse 22, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do something, take pity on us and help us. So that requires a very, very difficult situation. And I believe that if so far that demon did not manage to kill the, the boy, it's because of God's sovereignty. Whatever the power that demon has, he cannot take out the life of that boy unless God has given that authority. So the boy's situation is very, very serious, lest we can pass over it and think that it's a life situation. And I'm pointing to that very, very specific and great situation so that we can understand that that's something very, very huge, difficult for the father. It's a mountain for the father. And I believe that each one of us can somehow relate to a situation in his life that is almost like this, a mountain, a difficult situation, a situation that goes beyond human ability. Then as Jesus sees the case, we see that the Lord is not quite happy. In verse 19, the Lord said exactly that. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? I do feel in through this word that the Lord Jesus Christ is not happy at all. He's not happy for the unbelief of the people. In fact, in, in, in Luke and Mark, the word says, you unbelieving and evil generation. Many things can describe a generation. Many things can describe an age. Many things can describe a group of people. And it's interesting to see that here, for that generation, for that people, they are described or characterized by unbelief and evilness. We have this same exactly description when we look in the, in the life, in the time of Noah. The Bible says that the people was evil. It's interesting to see also that that situation seems to be, have been the case of the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. The same unbelief and evilness were characterizing the people. In fact, unbelieving, as we look into the, in the, in the, into the Bible dictionary in concordance, it almost sounds like, I'd also give the translation that people that are unreliable. It's somebody that's unreliable, or somebody who doesn't think that another person is unreliable. So when the, when the Lord says that the people are unbelieving, it's also that there are people that we cannot rely on, we cannot trust the people. But when also people are unbelieving, they're also kind of taking, like in the, in the sense of God, he's not reliable. I cannot trust him. I cannot put my confidence in him. And that's, Situation is so serious that I believe that we have to look into it. When we look into the case of the people of Israel, we found that it's a situation that God complains about and is been very, very angry about. We found that it's so serious that many of these people do not enter into the, into the promise of God. They do not enter into the promised land. So we read in Hebrews 3, 17, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart 
as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with, with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have no known my ways. So I declared on hope on my in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Who were those, verse 16, who heard and rebelled? Were, did, there, were there not all that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he, meaning God, angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed so? We see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. But more of that, we see that that unbelieving spirit, attitude, were also part of the, time, of the people in the time of Jesus Christ. Because of unbelief, people in the time of Jesus Christ did not receive his grace, not even in his hometown. Matthew, Mark 6 tells us, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where, where did these men get all these things, they asked. What, these, what is this wisdom that he has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's sons and the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, and Simon? Aren't his sisters with, here with us? And they took offense of him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and his own homes. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith, at their unbelief. And I, re I remember that a couple of Sundays ago, um, uh, Stephen was telling us about that word, amazed. What amazes you or what amazes God in you? Here, God, Jesus Christ is amazed at the unbelieving of the people of his time. Even his own family do not believe in him. John tells us every, even after Jesus has performed so many signs in their presence, in the presence of the people of the Jewish leader, they still didn't believe in him. And John tells us that even his own relatives did not believe in Jesus Christ. They could not receive the grace of everything that he was and was revealed about him. So one question that we can ask ourselves, what exactly is unbelief? Is it a lack of faith? Is it a small faith? Because sometimes we, we hear lack of faith, which gives us the impression that the faith is there, but it's so small that actually it's not at the, at the amount that God asks or God wants. But I don't think that is the lack of faith. I believe that is the absence of faith. And the reason that I say that, because Jesus said that if you have a faith like a mustard seed, a mustard seed is not very, very big, it's very, 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 very small. And God says that if you have that little faith, you can do and it will be done, and you can ask and it will be done for, for you. So it's not 
the, the amount of the little fit, but actually the lack of that fit. And to help us understand what exactly or how you can in define unbelief, we want to look to some passages, which I believe have something to tell us. Number 14.12 says, the Lord says to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite all the signs I've performed among them. Romans 8, 18 to 21, talking about Abraham's faith, how he believed in God when God gave him a promise. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so become the, became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fa fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not weather through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God has power to do what he had promised. So as I, as I look to, that, to these two passages as an example, and I look to the fact that God's talking about the, the, the people taking him with contempt. And it's interesting, in the French version, it says that, ce peuple me méprise. So it's really belittling God. And belief is belittling God. And belief is the lack of a knowledge of God, his power, his greatness, and everything that he is. And I believe that that lack of knowledge of God is sometimes very tied to our ability to, to, to have faith or to have a strong faith, uh, if I can say. So, every time that we put God's words into doubt, every time that we lack to see the greatness of God, that is unbelief. And apparently, it's something that seems to have great consequences in our own lives. And belief can exclude us from the grace of God, even to finding favor before God. In Hebrew 10, verse 37 to 30, 39, we read, For in just a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrink back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith to be saved. By faith, Enoch was taken from the, this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God has taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those 
to 16. This is from Hebrews 11, verse 5 to 6. So, without faith and belief, and such a strong word, we cannot please God. God is not pleased at all. And I believe that for most of us as Christians, one of the greatest call that we have is to be pleasing to God. We want to please Him. It is serious so far as to close to us the doors of heaven and to cast us into hell. Among the sins that are listed, when Jesus talks about the promise of the new generation and he says that away the adulterers and the sinners, we found in the list. We see that those who are victorious will inherit all these and will be, I will be their God and they will be my children. But to the core, the unbelief, the, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic, art, idolater, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fairy lake, the burning sulfur. This is the second death. So it's quite serious. We cannot take that lightly. And just to be sure, when Jesus is saying, Oh, you unbelieving generation. He's not talking only to the, to the crowd that is there. He's talking to his disciples as well. He's talking to the fathers of the son as well. Because all these people were marked with a kind of unbelief. And I believe that many times, some of our prayers are not answered because of that mark of unbelief in our heart. We give the impression that we pray, that we trust God, but really we do not think that he's able to do what he's saying. We don't really think that he has the power to do it. So we sometimes pray in the kind of emotion we are actually relying on the power of the one who can do everything. Then, the boy comes to the father and he says to the father, if you can do anything, if you can do, please come to our help. Verse 23 now, Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. So I come back to the question that I asked before, how does that sound in your heart? To me, and this is what I want to argue with you today when I say that I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying something more than the positive word that we can say. I believe that he calls us to look beyond that. He calls us, in fact, to look to God. I believe that it's a declaration that calls us to turn our eyes to God. God is the goal of that declaration. Not what I believe, what I hope, not in my own faith, but God himself, the great God, is the center, the focus of that everything is possible. In Genesis 18, verse 14, when God's come to give the promise of the coming of his son to Abraham, we read that when Sarah heard that, she was laughing. And the Lord asked Abraham, why is Sarah laughing? And Sarah said, I didn't laugh. But actually, this is what God, to show the certitude of his promise, he says, 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. That is God's word, God's declaration to Abraham. Next year, I will be here, and there will be a son. This, anything is too hard for God, we can transform it to nothing is impossible to God. Then we come to the time of Jeremiah. God is telling Jeremiah that the people is going to go into exile. Jeremiah has known that. He has been preaching that for, for, for months and years. And then one day God tells him, go see one of your relatives and buy the land uh, to him. Jeremiah obeys and he goes and buys the land. What? You're buying a land at a time that everything and everybody is going to go into exile. What does that mean? And God wanted to tell him that though the people are going to exile, he has appointed a time where the people would come back into the land again. And he tells that to Jeremiah. And this is what Jeremiah said. Our sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and ostrich arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I want to underline here, you have made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and ostrich hand. Nothing is too hard for you. We can translate that to nothing is impossible to you. In Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus said, when the rich man came and Jesus told him, go sell all your possessions and come and follow me. The Bible said that man went away very sad. And the Lord said that wonderful and very, very magnificent declaration. It's hard for a rich man to enter. It's harder for a camel to enter the needle, uh, the, the, the hole of a needle, than a rich man to be saved. At that moment, the disciples just looked to the Lord and asked him, who then can be saved? They understood that he was telling them something impossible. To that impossible, the Lord Jesus Christ answered. Jesus looked into them and said, with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So my point is that I, when, every time that we hear, all things are possible. What the word is calling us to look into is to look to the infinite, great, magnificent God who has all power, all might, to whom nothing is impossible. This verse talks about the greatness of God. It talks about the wonder of God, his majesty, his greatness. He has made the universe for nothing. Ex nihilo. The word says that he's the one who calls into existence things that are not existing. So the Lord is not saying that, okay, Huberson, you know what? Uh, you see that mountain that is there? Oh, it's a big mountain, right? You just wish it, and then it's going to go away. The power will never reside on Uberson. The power will never reside on the positive thinking of Uberson. Because it has always and will always reside in God. He is the one who has the power to move that mountain. 
So Huberson looked to God, to that God of the impossible. Bring to him your mountain, that impossible thing to you. Bring him to the Lord who is able to do everything and anything. The infinite God, the majestic God, can do the impossible for those who trust in him and put their confidence in him. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noon sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked scheme. And this is from Psalm 37, verse 5 and 7. And David said, I cry to the Lord. He answered my prayers. So he has put into my heart a new song. This is what we are called to do, to look into the, into the Lord. So in this story, we've seen a, a situation that apparently may have started with faith. I believe that it's through faith that that man woke up in the morning looking to his son and say, I've heard of Jesus. He needs to do something. I'm going to take him, my boy to him so that he's going to heal me. And I believe that when you arrive there and you ask the disciples, you don't see Jesus. You believe that Jesus' disciples may have the power to do something. And the disciples, with faith, thought we can do something. We can heal that boy. But with the apparent failure of the disciple, that faith started to crumble. Even the own disciples may have started to think, oh, where is God in that situation? And interestingly, it tells us that the scribes started to discuss with the disciples. What actually they're arguing about, we don't know but probably the method of trying to cast out the, 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 the demon. Oh, you, you guys are trying to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't even believe that this guy come, comes from God. Maybe you, you, you need to try to do it the way that our forefather did it, because at that time, many people would try to cast the, uh, demons. Exorcism existed in the time of Jesus. So that arg argument probably was ever putting into peril the very ministry of Jesus Christ and who, everything that he, he was. That father who came, hearing all these things, arguments about his, the boy who is now there, we're not arguing about how we should do, what we should do so that the, so that, uh, the demon will go away. That man's faith certainly was also shattered. So when Jesus says, everything is possible, is calling also that father to look to God. Remember the God of the impossible? Everything is possible to him. He can do the impossible for those who put their trust and their hope in him. So the boy's father cried, I believe. Help me overcome my belief. I found that very, very interesting that once we are willing to trust God, 
even that unbelieving characteristic attitude that you may hold, he can change it. He can transform him. And the way that Jesus did it was to show him greater power than he thought, than he was thinking at that time. Psalm 40, David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. I lift, he lifted me at the simply feet, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our Lord. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look at the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O oh Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Where do I speak? Where, where I to speak and tell of your deeds, there will be too many to declare. In Psalm 50, verse 15, the Lord says, Call unto me in the day of trouble. I will answer you and you will glorify me. A call to look to the Almighty, the infinite, the glorious God. What is prayer? I believe that prayer and the goal of prayer is to bring us rest. Jesus said to the disciple, this kind of demon of situation can all be resolved by prayer. In some verses, said prayer and fasting. What do prayer and fasting have to do in the story? I believe that prayer and fasting help us to see God more clearly. It helps us to focus on God. It wasn't a situation that the disciple could have remedied by their experience. They already had cast demons. Jesus has sent them to ministry. They did that. But it's not what God was calling them to do. Here is a call back to prayer. So that through prayer, we can see the majesty of God. And sometimes I believe that as we come to pray, somehow God opens our hearts to a reality of who he is so much that our lives our faith are transformed. It doesn't always mean that God is going to do what we ask. It doesn't always mean that actually God will answer positively. But faith leads us to think and to know that even if God does not answer, it's because he has greater goals in our, for, for our behalf. He has greater things before us. We hear about uh, that crowd of believers who are in the book of, of Hebrews and said, and we hear that many of them did not receive what they were promised because God had better things for them in Christ. We can always be sure that our heavenly father, when he do, does not give us the candy that we ask at the moment, probably because he's reserving for us a bigger cake that he has planned for us. 
we hear that uh, in that situation, Jesus still will go back, go aside with the disciples. And he says that he was teaching them. This is verse 33, 31. He was teaching them saying that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise again. Jesus knew that his time on earth will not always be there, forever. He wouldn't always be there with the disciples. Maybe it was, it was that reason why saying, up to when shall I still be with you? Until when shall I have to, until when do I still have to put up with you? Maybe he was referring already to the fact that he's not going to be there every day. The time will come when physically he won't be with the disciples. And it's interesting to see that in less than three chapters, we have the Lord Jesus Christ reminding his disciples three times of the fact that he's going to die, he's going to the cross. Right before the transfiguration, he was telling them that he was going to die. After Peter has confessed that he was the Christ, the Son of God. After the transfiguration, right before they are coming back, Jesus again reminded them that Peter, James, and John, that he is going to be uh, delivered to the authorities and killed. And here, after this wonderful miracle, he's telling and reminding them again that he's going to die. To conclude, what's the point of all this? What can we take up? My point is that, brothers, we have a great God, a wonderful Father, infinitely powerful, infinitely great to do what we, even, we can't even think of fathom. And that is our encouragement to come to prayer to pray, to bring to God whatever hard situation you face. If he doesn't seem to give the answer, understand, know that he's loving enough to, let, to not let you be destroyed by that situation. He has better things in view. We should never keep, be kept away for praying because of the situation that we are in or we face, we should never put for God into the box and thinking that that situation is greater than he is. And as I'm thinking about all things, I'm thinking about one of our sisters who is actually very, very sick. There are many other things in your life that you can think about, people that you can think, maybe you've been praying for years and years for something. Maybe today you're just like, ah, that situation seems that it's stronger than God. It is not stronger than God. In his wisdom, he knows when to answer and how to answer. And even if he doesn't answer, he's doing a greater work in our lives than what we can think of. And I will just ask us at this very moment, just to bow our head. I want to pray for me. Your words, Father, call us to lift our eyes to you. How marvelous you are, how excellent you are, how great you are. 
Yet, Father, we fail many times to see that. We do not always understand that. We are slow to understand and to be marveled by your greatness. Father, we want to come to you and ask for forgiveness. For lack of faith in prayer, how many times we have come before you, but yet our heart were far from believing or trusting you. Would you renew our faith? Would you renew, Father, our hope in you? Would you put a song into our heart as you did for David? Because you feel the same yesterday, today, and you will be the same tomorrow. And we are pleased and grateful that such a great God allows us to come to his presence and bring to him whatever situation we are facing. Not because of our own self, but because of the infinite power that you have. Father, I pray and we want to pray as a church again, as a family. Father, would you just give grace to Nunu? Would you just extend your hand into her situation? Would you just heal her? Father, we pray and we ask that because we know that that sickness, that cancer, is not stronger than you. You have created every being, every cell. And a word from your hand, from your mouth, Father, can restore her soul. Father, we believe that your word calls us to understand and to see that. So we pray and commit her to you and praying that, Lord, you will be merciful to her. That you will grant us, Father, the grace of seeing a full restoration, the restoration that you bring from your hand with your mercy. Father, and we also want to pray with that understanding that if you do not heal her, it's because you have greater plan for her. It's because you have greater thing for her. You are no less God, no less wonderful, no less marvelous, no less powerful. All power continue and will continue to remain into your hands. Thank you for being willing to answer our prayer. Thank you for being willing to be the helper of those that seek you. Teach us to pray humbly before you. Father, would you just transform our prayer life as we come to you every day. Renew our hope in you of your greatness. In Jesus' name.